The Airline Business Podcast is sponsored by Panasonic Avionics. Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, as we begin 2024, it's a special bonus episode as we pick our airline stories to watch out for in the year ahead. My name is Graham Dunn, Executive Editor at Flight Global, and joining me as ever is airline business editor, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. How are you? Yes, ready to kick off the new year. And uh, what better way to kick off the new year with a, a special bonus bonus podcast? Yeah, we thought it went so well when we tried to keep to a strict format in the last podcast that we're, we're going to try again. Uh, but this time, maybe a bit looser with how we uh, how we structure it. But but yeah, really uh, obvious time to to go through some of the stories to look out for. I think in uh, in the coming twelve months. Yes, and this is sort of quite a I, I guess you <laughs> you call it a subjective list. Um, we've both <laughs> gone away and thought about some of the the airline stories that that I guess we find interesting. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, you can sort of make a case for all manner of, of airlines there. But it's quite interesting we try to sort of pick some stories which probably shine a light on some of the other themes and themes that we've talked about across uh, this year and will obviously continue into 2024. Um, We're going to look at um, at Europe and European airlines to begin with. Lewis, which European airlines? Is there a European airline story out there that's keeping you interested this year? I think there there are several. I think you would be unsurprised to hear. I think one that I mentioned first would be Air France KLM. And we, we've talked about them a bit in the context of consolidation and obviously the minority stake in SAS is a an interesting development. But, but I think Air France KLM, there's a real sense of, of a maturity, I think, under Ben Smith that maybe hasn't been seen before. So looking into the, the coming year, there's, there's just a lot going on there, really. We've got We've got Transavia, the, the low cost unit, really now ramping up in France now that the uh, the labour agreements are in place to allow that expansion. And talking of Transavia, of course, there's a big transition going on within it, um, KLM and, and Transavia into an Airbus fleet. So that's really they had the first delivery of a 321neo, I think, at the end of last year. So. Um, a lot going on there with that transition. Obviously, you can't mention Air France KLM without Schiphol and the what, what is a temporary reprieve, I think, on on the slot situation there. Uh, we've got TAP, so you know, are Air France KLM? Well, I think it's clear they're interested there. Are they going to make a move there? And, and generally, obviously, I think we talked about recently. You know, Air France uh, as a standalone has has sort of recorded some much better results in terms of how they compare with KLM. Obviously, historically, KLM has been the much stronger partner there. And I don't think that's necessarily made for the, the best relationship between the two units. But I do think there's a real sense, really, that Ben Smith has really got a hold of that business. And it really will be interesting watching what happens there, I think, over the next 12 months. Yeah, definitely. As partners, you basically had one airline that was largely underachieving for a variety of reasons, another airline that was overachieving for for a string of reasons, and that has kind of uh, settled settled out now. I mean, Air France, I suspect, will be interesting when their uh, year-end figures come out, but I suspect Air France will have a maybe a higher operating margin, which would be 
interesting. I can't remember the last time um, we saw that happen in the in, within that group. And, you know, that Labour piece is is quite interesting. It's not something, you know, we, we remember the days where you, you had a meeting to slim down or, or trans, uh, make a transformation at Air France uh, resulted in, in executives <laughs> climbing over the fence with the shirts ripped off their back. So, you know, that is quite a, a radical change there. Um, as you say, KLM still is still going to have those issues at Amsterdam. There is a conditional uh, conditional reprieve for, for this summer. So capacity should be back up, albeit uh, peak times, it's still not going to be uh, back to its top level capacity. And then there remains the issue of uh, long term issue about how they address noise um, and that issue, which which hasn't gone away. You know, an environment in particular, you know, KLM is always going to be at the at, at the heart of that. Uh, it's such a live live topic in um, in the Netherlands. So I think absolutely fascinating one to consider. Um, Lufthansa too. You know, I think they're pretty inescapable as a story that you have to follow. You know, they are involved in so many different areas. I, I certainly think we're going to get our first indication on on what's coming in terms of consolidation and what the regulatory view is going to be on consolidation uh, with their deal for ITA. And that in many ways could kickstart all manner of other processes. And, you know, I think Lufthansa is going to be interesting in terms of how it handles capacity when it gets back to capacity and where it puts its uh, aircraft this year. You've reflected before, Lewis, that Carsten Spohr has been, you know, very clear on actually the restrained capacity that we have and the supply chain challenges does have an upside in terms of airline profitability and yields. Yes, it does. And, and yeah, as you say, Lufthansa has been probably slightly slower bringing capacity back than maybe the its rivals. That's you know, partly down to, to some of the issues in the, the markets. It's, uh, but certainly, yeah, as I think we've talked about recently, we know that even with the airline industry kind of on course to be back at 2019 traffic and capacity this year yeah that still means it's several percentage points off where it would have been um, had you know growth continued um, without a uh, a pandemic so it does mean that you know the the airline environment is still one with capacity lower than it would have been before you even think about you know some of the um, supply chain challenges the the GTF Preston Whitney GTF challenges that are all meaning we've got less capacity in the in the market this year and, and Lufthansa you know with such a strong position in some of the markets it, it, it plays in is positioned well to take advantage of that but yeah it's going to be an interesting year for them I think again want to look out for as you say you mentioned consolidation again with with the ETA decision being on the horizon so yeah um, they've got City Airlines they're launching so another move I think in the regional market uh, based around um, some of the labour agreements there I think and obviously they placed their first max order I think um, a few weeks ago um, so Lufthansa touching a whole whole heap of issues you know while um, it may be a bit obvious to talk first straight away about the, 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 the big airline groups in Europe there's just so much going on I think in, in the region I think partly reflecting this the sector powering out of Covid and 23-24 being the the time when everyone's now jostling for position much more than they were able to do even in 22. So, so yeah, a, a lot going on there. 
I think with Lufthansa, the that Boeing Max order was really interesting. I mean, it's obviously it's obviously interesting. It's a great it's a great story for us in terms of you know sort of a surprise aircraft order coming in. But you know, I think that's one of the first examples of of an airline sort of consciously going out and deciding to ensure they have competition within a fleet. Um, uh, on narrow bodies, they've been all Airbus for a fair while. Obviously, they have uh, a joint venture, Sun Express, which operates uh, Boeing Maxis. But it is interesting to see them make that decision to go for Maxis and you know get some flexibility going forward. And it will be be interesting to see as airlines get scale. To what extent do they want that bargaining position? I mean, someone like Ryanair <laughs> periodically, and I'm sure it'll be about time that. Um, Michael O'Leary starts talking about wouldn't rule out an Airbus order as he tries to <laughs> create some some level of competition when you, you operate an all Boeing fleet. But it is it is interesting to see if any other airlines will follow that uh, move. Yeah, and I think yeah, conventional wisdom would be well, single type fleet is um, is preferable because it you know, reduces complexity, etc. But I think clearly one of the lessons of the past certainly year or so is that. Um, hedging your bets a bit that seem, may seem a bit more sensible than it once did. We know that with supply chain challenges, whether that be on the operational side or keeping the aircraft in the air or securing new aircraft, you know, there, there are issues everywhere, really, which mean that actually, um, you know, open yourself up to considering other types. And as in Lufthansa case, you know, the first max order um, certainly looks a lot more logical than maybe it would have done in the past. So, you know, and we know that, you know, if you haven't got an aircraft on order today, uh, certainly a narrow body, you're really, um, you're looking, um, you know, several years into the future before you're ever going to get your hands on them. So, so there's there's also a sense that the production slots are tight. So um, everyone's looking for to maximise their, their position there. Um, and, you know, see also see consolidation in that context as well, where your options to expand are, will happen organically and inorganically but but yeah so Lufthansa at the centre of that. Yeah absolutely and elsewhere in Europe anyone else you're going to well, be keeping an eye out for this year? Yeah I mean thinking about away from the the big groups I guess I think Norwegians are really interesting story I've followed them fairly closely over the past uh, couple of years and obviously um, Gear Carlson they're doing a seems to be doing a reasonable job of um you know, reinventing Norwegian back to its kind of roots as a as a short haul carrier in its kind of core markets in Scandinavia. Um, but it's it's been getting quietly sort of getting some decent uh, financial results there. I think there's very much a sense it's through its restructuring. It's got a clear plan. It's nearly at the point, I think, where Carlson was talking about it having fleet scale. So when you start to get towards 90, 100 aircraft where you really get the advantages of the, the economies of scale of that fleet size. And of course, in what was a bit of a surprise, given the, 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 what we'd heard leading up to that point, obviously it's acquisition of Vidaro has um, been given the green light. And what, while that, I guess, in some respects is a, is a, is a local story, really, it's not so much, you know, it's, it's uh, Vidaro obviously being a fellow Norwegian operator in largely different markets you know obviously it's a it's a regional carrier but having said that it is a european consolidation move that appears to be on its way to happening so in that sense with the uncertainty around all the other moves i think um, norwegian stands out there even if maybe the 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 effects on the on the wider market will probably be relatively modest certainly in the short term versus some of the other moves we know are 
are happening. Um, so, yeah, uh, they're just an interesting airline, really. Obviously, they placed the MAX order, so they've got new aircraft on their way. They've been talking about opening bases outside of um, their core markets. Obviously, historically, um, Norwegian pre-transformation, kind of so pre-2019, was big on expansion in a, in a pan-European sense, so, so new bases in outside Scandinavia are pretty common. So I imagine they'll be careful about how they expand. But they have talked about opening a new base in Riga. I think that's on its way soon and elsewhere. Uh, so, yeah, I think a story there of an airline that so far has been successful in, you know, post-COVID kind of recovery. It was already on the way to transformation when COVID hit. And I'm sure that's helped a bit because it it wasn't, you know, entirely down to the shock of the global crisis that initiated the transformation. But yeah, just an airline, I think, where some sensible management and and some growth plans, but but not going too crazy, uh, appear to be working. And and as I say, an, an interesting consolidation story as as well. And it'd be it be key. It'd be interesting to see how Vidro plays out. Obviously, the other thing worth mentioning in the context of Vidro is it's sort of a bit of a leader on the sustainability front. Certainly when you look at alternative power sources for aircraft and things, certainly a, a, an airline that's been at the forefront of that. So a Norwegian buying into something there, I guess, that fits with one of the, the big or if not the big theme for the airline industry looking over the next 20, 30 years or so. So, yeah, just um, an interesting carrier there. I don't know if there's anyone else in Europe for you, Graham. Yeah, I would probably flag on the fringes, I suppose, technically, uh, geographically straddling Europe and Asia and, and <laughs> to some extent in terms of operation or often considered similar to uh, one of the big Gulf carriers. It, I think it's really difficult to look away from Turkish Airlines, which is this. The Turkish market full stop has been massive since COVID. There's been an unbelievable growth there in the leisure market. You know, it's rebounded and and all the carriers there, Pegasus and Sun Express, they've all come back remarkably quickly from that period. But Turkish is, you know, a fascinating airline in terms of the growth it wants to achieve. And I think what they have managed to do remarkably well is actually make that transition from being very heavily reliant on COVID, uh, to COVID on cargo during the initial uh, recovery period from the pandemic and as the demand came back switching to uh, back to the passenger market and you know they finally came up with the Airbus part of their major aircraft order um, you know they're looking at doubling the fleet going from 400 to 800 over the, the next decade or so um, a massive commitment and development there those those aircraft will start coming in there they're probably one of those airlines that can't get aircraft fast enough Equally, they face this, you know similar ch- challenges to, to other airlines in terms of aircraft availability. So it will be interesting to see how quickly they are able to grow in that environment. And then you also see, you know, a very clear plan to develop the low cost business there. So um, Anadola Jet, which um, has been operating for well, 15 years or so, that will from from next year be operating as its own standalone unit. They're rebranding the carrier, so that turns it, uh, they will be operating under the Ajet brand, which is, you know, clearly a more international branding. You know, I think you'll see, you know, more emphasis on expanding internationally. They're looking at more than doubling the fleet. They're at something like a little over 90 aircraft now. They they aim to be at 200 aircraft by 2033. You know, it is a growth story where they deploy those aircraft. You know, people 
are going to notice, <laughs> yeah, airlines are going to notice Turkish airlines and AJET, whether it be the primary airline or whether it be AJET, uh, operating in their markets. They are. And of course, they're not alone in that expansion either. And you've uh, we talked about Sun Express, of course, um, you mentioned them in context of Lufthansa, you know, the, the joint venture with Turkish Airlines. So they're, you know, big expansion plans themselves. We know Pegasus, the low cost carrier in Turkey, has big expansion plans. But as you say, I think that low cost bit is, is particularly interesting to see clearly you know, more flights into you know, markets where there is you know, already competition you know, in Europe or, you know, obviously one of the key selling points is for Istanbul as a hub is, it's kind of uh, short haul links with so many markets just because of its um, location. So, so it is undeniably full of potential. Equally, yeah, lots of capacity going in there. So, a really interesting one to watch from a, a competitive standpoint as well. Clearly, we're undeniably entering a, a year where I think certainly for the next twelve months, I doubt there'll be much concern about overcapacity anywhere. But but when you look at markets like Turkey, those those expansion plans, as you say, there's going to be a lot of aircraft coming in, and, and they'll need to be deployed somewhere. I think 2023 was a big year for the Turkish carriers. I think um, obviously IATA AGM was in Istanbul. A few other global events were held in 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 Turkey. So so yeah, it was definitely a year where they were willingly trying to raise the profile of the carrier. I think they wanted those big aircraft orders perhaps to have happened a bit earlier. But as you say, they got at least got the Airbus one over the line before the end of the year. So, um, so yeah, lots of uh, profile there. And now now it's about delivery, I guess, over the, the coming coming years. I, I mentioned Turkish Airlines are, are sort of like one of the, the Gulf majors. Another airline to watch is probably one of the existing uh, Gulf majors, and that's Qatar Airways, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, we in terms of the biggest surprises in 2023, I guess um, Akbar Al-Bakr's departure is a quite sudden departure, I guess, without too much warning of as CEO of Qatar Airways um, is perhaps one of the, the biggest, really, uh, regardless of the, the, the carrier as, as a Obviously, a personality in the the industry, you know, have really lost something there. Whatever you think of um, some of the uh, some of the comments he's made in in in, in his time, uh, his long long tenure at Qatar Airways. So so a big change happening there. I think you know before we think about anything else about their wider strategy, obviously Badir Mohammed Almir coming in, um, you know, was chief operating officer of Hamad International Airport, of, of which I believe the Qatar Airways CEO also. Is also CEO of, so you know he he would have worked with our backer, but but it will be interesting to see when it what difference that kind of makes both in terms of Qatar Railways as an organisation and in terms of their strategy. I mean they've always um you know been a carrier with that incredibly strong figurehead and our backer. I mean it it was tough sometimes to work out who the you know other C-suite executives were at times just because he was such a a strong presence. So it will be interesting, you know before anything else, just to see whether that carries on and then a new leader and it's undeniably brought some success in, in Doha. There's no no question about that. But, you know, what this means, I guess, and, and I'd, I guess we'll quite quickly find out, given how high profile Qatar Railways is in, in you know, the Middle East and beyond. Absolutely. I think I framed it, I mean, framed it as uh, as a man who'd filled airline uh, aircraft manufacturer order books and reporter notebooks. Uh, at equal measure and um, (laughs) journalists will certainly miss him. I think it is fascinating because 
when when Albaca took over or Qatar Airways launched, it was a tiny airline, and you know he had, the airline had to punch above its weight, and he certainly ensured it did that. And you know I think what's what's clear now is that you have an airline that has established a model that does have aircraft, does have fleet, it does have a network, uh, does have a presence now. Um, so you know maybe the time maybe the timing is is right for a slightly different type of leadership. It's a challenge all airlines have. I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to refer everything back to Michael O'Leary during this podcast, but uh, you know he's talked many times before about there being a time when you know an airline might need a different type of leader rather than the one who who sort of dominates headlines and gets some headlines and bits and pieces. Now, so far Michael O'Leary hasn't <laughs> hasn't decided that the timing is actually right <laughs> for that, uh, but it is quite interesting that idea of of how much an airline needs that that higher profile in an external sense but also it's it'll be extremely interesting to see what kind of impact that has on an airline internally as well it will yeah i guess there's a sense like you say that the Qatar Airways coming from from nothing to where where it is today um under albaca and i guess you do reach a point as a business where not that albaca couldn't necessarily have, have led this phase but certainly there is a, a sense you're moving into um you know you're no longer the the, the upstart you're no longer the, the the disruptor you kind of move into a new phase where you have maturity as a business and um well you know that might require different leadership skills as i say not not saying that incumbents can't necessarily deliver that but but yeah it, it will be interesting to watch and the, the whole middle east region i think um, from a leadership perspective is really interesting because obviously you know we've got a relatively new leader at etihad and um Antonaldo Neves obviously um, talking about growth there as well you know and we can't mention that region without mentioning Riyadh Air I, I don't think um, while we would expect plenty from them over the next 12 months I'm not sure that will include actually flying any <laughs> any uh, <laughs> any commercial services but yeah that, that's an undeniably a, a development in the region which again means there's um you know there are new players in town who who are the upstarts now and you know um, you know the existing players are going to have to deal with that similarly obviously we talked about before we know that and we'll probably move on to talk about some of these in the second part but certainly um, a big market for these Middle Eastern carriers is, is Asia and India particularly and there's a maturity in the Indian market which again means that perhaps there's going to be new competitive challenges there but but yeah certainly Etihad and what's what's happening and you've um, I suppose at Dubai and uh, uh, other places you've had an opportunity to hear from Nevers haven't you and, and that's another yeah, quite aggressive growth story, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And they have the the new airport, which has opened up there as well. There's definitely a sort of refocus. It, I mean, it's interesting, and and this to some extent goes back to the the Norwegian <laughs> story on the one hand, where you have this: when does an airline shift from a consolidation and a sensible, uh, sensible isn't the right word, but a consolidation story and a really focused, clear plan, especially ones. Uh, both both Etihad and Norwegian have had ambitious plans previously. They had to row back on that. They enter a, a period of retrenchment, a period of consolidation, and, and sort of the messaging is is around we're securing the business, we're doing what we need to do, we're getting our core business right. And then you have the period, you know, what do you do next? Where how do you grow? Where do you grow? And how do you how do you move into a more ambitious mode without kind of sacrifice sacrificing some of those those earlier gains? So it would be really interesting to see how you know Etihad had sort of cut back on 
you know, quite a lot of the aircraft they had um, during their restructuring. They probably quite like some of those aircraft <laughs> in this immediate <laughs> period for growth. So they're back kind of having to to go for it again. But it's definitely, you know, that is a market where you, you are going to continue to see growth, you know, almost regardless of that it remains a market where we see sort of unrest and, and challenges. So, you know, at the same time as people are, are looking at long term growth there, you know, obviously we have the situation in Israel, you know, have concerns still around the risk of that expanding to other areas in the Middle East. But seemingly regardless of, you know, that volatility, uh, the Middle East remains a, a market of absolutely huge uh, growth opportunity. Um you mentioned India and you mentioned Asia. And um, after the break, Lewis, we'll, um, we'll take a look at Asia and, uh, and the Americas. Hello, listeners. I'm Andy Mason, and I want to introduce you to Beyond Entertainment, a new podcast from Panasonic Avionics. Each week, we sit down with the best and brightest in our industry for a quick chat on the future of passenger experience. Everything from display and audio technology to in-flight Wi-Fi and killer digital content to meaningful market research. We're looking at what's now, what's new, and what's next. So join us as we explore the passenger experience. Go beyond entertainment. Available now on your favorite podcasting platforms or on our website, panasonic.aero forward slash beyond entertainment. Welcome back. Uh, before the break, we were talking about Qatar Airways and an airline that had lost a long term and larger than life leader. And um, I guess in Australia, we have an airline where something similar has happened. Yeah, I mean, we we'd, um, before I go into detail on that, I suppose it's, it's just an interesting trend we've been talking about, isn't it? Whether the, the era of the, the big personalities in, in, in leading sort of the big airlines around the world is for some reason, sort of coming to a close. I think we've seen, um, certainly if you look at some of the transitions at IEG, for example, and um, elsewhere, you know, there, there's definitely been a marked move away from some of the, the bigger personalities. As I say, there could be a variety of reasons for that, and it could equally go the other way at some point, but it's certainly something that's happening. And I think Qantas is a an interesting example, obviously, as you mentioned, long-serving CEO and Alan Joyce leaving in uh, perhaps in the way he, he wouldn't have wanted, even if he was heading towards departure anyway at some point. But I've talked about before, obviously, Qantas is a, an interesting story looking at it from the outside, because um, in some measures, you know, its share price was um, from the prices we track was one of the strongest performing last year. It you know, financially was doing pretty well. It had, as everywhere did, it had its COVID challenges, even in domestic markets, obviously different states having different rules, which didn't necessarily happen in in other large domestic markets. So it was possible to create a narrative where or see a narrative where Qantas had actually emerged quite strongly from COVID-19. But equally, um, you know, a number of stories around um, Joyce, obviously a long sort of known Concern was that, you know, it, it was around his relationship with, with unions and, and la- the labour force and, you know, some challenges there. Um, there were, you know, not unique to Qantas by any means, but stories coming out of COVID of lost luggage, etc., getting a lot of coverage in, in the Australian press. And, you know, various other challenges about his friendship with the Prime Minister, I think, and things like that, that, you know, rightly or wrongly were, were seen to be 
negative towards his ability to continue in the role. So, yeah, Qantas is a weird one from that point of view. So, they, you know, Vanessa Hudson's now CEO, the former CFO. Um, I think there's a sense that, you know, that I think Qantas will be looking for a calm year. I think that's probably what they want more than anything. There's been a few other C-suite changes there. You know, while I think some of the fundamentals are, are still pretty, have been pretty strong there for a while, I don't think by any means Joyce has left a, a mess um, when you actually look at the the core business, but I think there's some you know reputation and relationship rebuilding to do there. Um, you know uh, that um, Hudson will clearly be working hard on. But I think when, as I say, going back to the point about the leaders airlines need, I think um, clearly there's a strong argument that Qantas is looking for someone to just quietly you know lead them through a few months of settling things down, getting that relationship with customers and and labour back into a better place and to see where that takes the business, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously the the Chinese carriers will be interesting to see how how they develop this year in terms of bringing back that capacity. That's a a, a market that will that is reopening so far that has really focused around the domestic market more than internationally. Uh, So it will be interesting to see I suppose to what extent the Chinese, especially the the big three carriers, to what extent they throw themselves back into those big international markets. You know, I mean, before the pandemic and before the crisis, there was a a big initiative around, you know, increasing connectivity to some of those secondary points in China. It would be interesting to see how much of that returns uh, and whether that becomes the focus or how long it takes uh, to happen. So the Chinese market is a key market both for the Chinese carriers, but also obviously for the airlines serving that market, as is the Indian market. And I think the Indian market is, you know, it, it, I think it is just going to be one of the, the most fascinating ones out there, partly because you have, you know, a variety of carriers looking to develop there. And in particular, that you have a, a flag carrier, which in Air India has perennially struggled, but has perhaps got its best opportunity uh, in years to, to stake a claim to gain a foothold back in that market. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's difficult to know where to start the Indian market, isn't it? Because you do have, you know, uh, Indigo as a sort of, uh, sort of the runaway success story in a way um, of the last few years. Um, you know, very mature business now under Peter Elbers. Um, you've got Acasa Air, the, the, the relatively new uh, low cost carrier that's, I think, on the verge of a, a big order and, you know, seems to be quietly making making some positive steps but equally you've you've still got the uh, the echoes of the, the challenges and maybe echoes is, is not quite strong enough because i think it's clearly a market that has um has always been full of potential but but challenging for operators for a variety of reasons but you still see some older players like spicejet um and obviously particularly go first with its uh, its struggles so and oh, yeah we should probably mention jet airways as well who knows whether they'll um, get off the ground again but certainly um, I think in terms of Air India like you say the really interesting thing will be whether the kind of revitalized business under Tartar ownership can really make make a success and uh, in some ways that yeah I think the business as it was sold to Tata Group was was in a quite a state so it had been you know years of, um, of government ownership with suboptimal for a variety of reasons and um, lots of stories of, you know, Campbell Wilson, the CEO, they're having a, a lot of things to sort out just to get the business on a, a solid footing. We we know that there are uh, there's consolidation within those moves. So Vistara 
which was a joint venture between Tata and um, and Singapore Airlines Group, being merged into the main Air India operation at the same time, the old Air Asia India operation becoming part of the Air India Express unit. Air India Express taking its first Max Jets, I think, um, last year. But I think there is a sense that there's a lot of low hanging fruit that needed sorting out there. And I think, you know, 2024 is when we're going to start to see, can it start to make good? You know, the, there's a few, I wouldn't call them easy wins, but certainly when a business is, needs that much uh, TLC, there are a few things that probably uh, sort of stand out as needing to be sorted. And, you know, it's important they have been, but you then need to push the business on to be that really mature network operator and you know signs are it can do that particularly you know when you look at Singapore Airlines involvement for example you know a very successful and and sensible carrier there that's um, obviously going to be a big voice you know so yeah but yeah in terms of what happens this year they clearly need to get those consolidation moves over the line and then really start to push on and and prove that this new mature Air India I guess is positioned to take advantage of what is that that huge potential in that market. The ingredients are absolutely there. You look at this is the most sensible looking business plan or sensible sensible looking approach. Everything appears to be there for Air India to you know to make a fresh fresh start and a, a willingness around it. But it, it, you have to remember this India has been a terrifically difficult market for all airlines to operate in. It's always been challenging, and it'll be interesting to see as you say actually delivering might prove more challenging. It's one thing to say you're going to do stuff; it can be more challenging to make that happen. But you know, I certainly think that all the ingredients are there. When we look at um, at North America, is the biggest story of this year, probably. And uh, it's difficult to see any way past viewing JetBlue as probably the most interesting story for the year ahead still. I think so, yeah. And we are um, obviously expecting pretty imminently to, to get the judgment on, on its uh, spirit acquisition. It's one of those stories where I think whatever that judgment is, is there's going to be fallout. Um, and while consolidation, you know, the rationale seems to be there, with these kind of the huge players in the big kind of three, four airlines in America that kind of dominate the market. The others are looking for scale to compete better with them. We know that JetBlue was not back on its Northeastern Alliance with American Airlines last year. So it's, it's in a what feels like a vulnerable position when, you know, if, if you add on top spirit getting getting uh, rejected, if that happens, you know, what do they do? What, what did JetBlue do? What does spirit do? Um, where does that leave Frontier, who obviously was originally in pole position to to take Spirit? So yeah, I, it really is difficult to look beyond JetBlue. I think, and, and in the wider context, we know. I think we talked about it in the last pod. There has been uh, a slight weakness in the in the domestic US market in terms of uh, yields and um, some certainly demand um, in the um, second half of 2023. So yeah, really fascinating one to keep an eye on. And I, yeah, there isn't really, you know, obviously Alaska and Hawaiian are uh, making their own consolidation moves. Uh, but I think in terms of the uh, the fallout, whatever the decision is, it'll be really interesting to watch. And so much, as you say, it's really difficult to look away from that story in North America. And until we have that decision, um, it feels like so much is up in the air there. But uh, on consolidation front as well, we know that um, there's sort of a move towards maturity in Latin America that would be interesting to watch as well. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, we've had a consolidation in the past within Latin Latin America. And, you know, we obviously have in LATAM 
uh, Airlines Group, uh, biggest operator there, uh, which was coming together of, of LAN and TAM. Avianca, which has itself had a few consolidations along the way, it obviously teamed up with with Goal with the concept of the Abra Group and this again creates an airline within uh, or an airline holding structure similar to IAG and, and it obviously recognises that within Latin America consolidation is difficult because you don't have that common aviation area so you have to retain separate brands in order to retain your, your landing rights and so forth. I think there's definitely a kind of a notable step change probably coming with, with Abra or at least I think we might see a little bit more what, what the ambition of that comes with uh, with a new appointment to lead that group, which comes with the existing chief executive of Avianca, Adrian Neuhauser, who starts in the role well about a couple of days ago. Yeah, that, I think that reflects because while this Abra story has been going on a while, that I think there's certainly from from looking at it from afar, I think there's been a sense that you know it was really waiting for something to happen, you know, concrete. I think the appointment of Neuhauser, who's, who's, you know, by most accounts has done a, a decent job at Avianca, has really transformed, um, been part of the transformation of that business really towards shift away from its kind of more legacy network carrier past to something more like a low cost sort of carrier. And I think he's a high profile figure in, in the region in terms of airline chief executives. And for them to, to move him to run this new holding company probably reflects that this is the year when they're really going to ramp up and he'll be a a high an existing high profile figure in the region who's going to be the spokesman for that um, business so as you say that it's it's full of challenges that region Um, we know that the holding company structure you know if you look at IAG for example with the different brands is something that works Um, in some areas it'd be really fascinating to see um, what they do with it in in Latin America and you know a, a really interesting new voice really having someone speaking for Abra so speaking for those you know what at the moment are you know the Colombian and, and Brazilian carriers, but which may expand. We know that, for example, there's a there's an agreement with Aerolineas, which who themselves have just got a new CEO, to potentially expand cooperation with other carriers as well. So a potential sign of maturity in that market, as I say, and having that leader in place will mean that 2024 will start to give us a better idea of really what they're about there and how seriously they are taking this this new structure. I think that's probably enough, isn't it? Uh, I'm looking forward to us reviewing this in about a year's time and finding out (laughs) it was probably one of the other 200 or so large airlines that that were the biggest stories but we've tried anyway (laughs) yeah i mean uh, i expect you know in a year's time we'll start off with we're expecting abra to make a bigger (laughs) enhancement and it'll be interesting to see but the Lufthansa gets its ITA deal over the line. Um, who knows? But um, <laughs> plenty of stories to uh, keep an eye on over the year to come. So, um, Lewis, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Greg. Our thanks to Panasonic Avionics for sponsoring the podcast. Do give the Beyond Entertainment podcast a listen. Uh, reminder, you can catch up on all the news and stories we've uh, talked about on this podcast at flightglobal.com. If you've enjoyed this, please like and review us. Don't forget to subscribe to get your next episode in your podcast feeds directly. And we'll see you again uh, next time. <laughs>